everybody in here knows what these little blue cards are, but if not, these are the forms that are, that are used to nominate men for the office of elder. It's already the 5th of October, um, so you can get started tonight if you like, um, putting men's names here that you think qualify as the gift of, uh, for the office of elder. So here they are. Um, one other thing before we start. Um, um, this will be uh, uh, on a YouTube before long, I mean, I'm, um, because the staff asked me to do it. But um, <clears throat> Guys, on the 20th of this month, Rosaria uh, Butterfield is going to be among us, the, the uh, chief spokesman in, in all of conservative Christianity uh, for uh, issues surrounding sexuality. Um, <clears throat> um, how, how shall I put this? Um, I don't know what you've got planned that night, but um, whatever it is, Cancel it and be a part of um, mom, dad, grandmom, grandpop, whatever. The issue that is going to um, become the watershed between belief and unbelief, uh, this is not just my opinion, um, is going to be this issue of sexuality, same-sex marriage, transgendering, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying that this woman can give you all the answers that you've ever needed. But she'll give you some. And that's more than we got. And more than I got. Um, Gang, um, if you for one second think that that soccer game is more important than um, having your children here, to hear this, then, then, um, then you've, you need to come by and sit in my office and listen to the pain that this issue causes. Um, the, the parental pain. Guys, again, let me, let, me, let me say this again. I'm not saying she'll answer all your questions. But you have access to the voice uh, concerning issues on sexuality. And there could not be a much bigger issue than sexuality these days. So, um, <clears throat> whatever you have scheduled, change your schedule and be here on that Thursday night. Um, it's it, it's more difficult um, than the, the previous time we had her scheduled, but as you know, her mother died. So she had to cancel this. This is, this is the best we could do. But um, this woman's brilliant. I know you're not used to that around here. <laughs> but this woman's brilliant. And, um, and you, you, must, you must expose yourself to it. Um, if it just puts you on a path so that you can investigate it more, whatever. But you, you must not... Miss this, guys. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what I'm talking about, so just chalk that up. I don't know what age children where sexuality becomes 
they become conversant over this issue. I don't know that. It would seem to me by the fifth grade, they're well into knowing stuff. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it's second grade. I, I, I don't know. But whatever age, bring them. Bring them with you. And um, at least open the discussion concerning um, children cross-dressing and um, choosing to be a different gender because they felt like it. It's just, it's just insanity what is going on. And it happened real fast, didn't it? So um, don't miss that. All right, guys. We've been studying the book of Galatians. How in the world did we get from a study of the book of Galatians to a study of the book of Lamentations? How'd that happen? <clears throat> well, it's, um, it's chapter 4, verse 29, that talked about how the children of Ishmael are going to persecute the children of, uh, of or the, the sons of Ishmael are going to uh, persecute the sons of Isaac. Unbelief is going to persecute belief. And so what I suggest to you then, that was just one um, subset in the bigger issue of, of, um, of tribulation. There's all kinds of different words. So that took me to um, raise the whole issue of suffering in general. So that's how we got here, and it, at least that's my connection. <clears throat> so I want you to go to the book of Lamentations. We kind of introduced it last week, but we're going to look at it Tonight and maybe one more week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll see. Um, <clears throat> guys, <clears throat> gosh, <clears throat> um, if you've ever been to my home, <clears throat> next to my wife, I have two prized possessions. They are both Rembrandt prints. One is a Rembrandt print of um, the prodigal son that hangs right over the fireplace. <clears throat> the other one is this one. I, I, um, I started to go home and pull it off the wall, but I thought, nah. <clears throat> this is the painting that was hanging in my office in Ocala, Florida, when R.C. Sproul came into my office, saw it, and called it the classic expression of Christian art. <clears throat> he wrote about my paint. Actually, I didn't paint it. Uh, <clears throat> but he writes in one of his books about the painting that he saw in this pastor's office. <clears throat> Jeremiah the prophet. I know you can't see it from back there, but uh, this is another Rembrandt print. But Jeremiah is right here, and he's dejected and leaning on a book called the B-I-B-E-L, the Bible. <clears throat> In the background, there, uh, Jerusalem is burning. And um, two people are in the painting who are humped over and holding each other up as they as they flee from um, Jerusalem. If you've never seen my painting, it, and you've never been to my home, it's, there's a reason. Um, <clears throat> you know, we didn't like you. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but if, you've, if, you've seen, if you haven't seen the painting, you might want to take a look at this one. The reason I, I start that way is um, most people would say that it represents the period in Jeremiah's life, in which he wrote the book of Lamentations. 
Oh, there it is. How did you do that, Jason? <clears throat> um, that's it. Now, I, let's see. So off to the, the left there is the city burning. And down about eight inches from the bottom, you can see the two people. <clears throat> and there's Jeremiah, who had been um, um, pleading with Jerusalem to um, turn from her wicked ways. She didn't. Babylon, the Babylonians came and burned it down. As a result of that great uh, destruction, Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> Today I got out my, my Hebrew Bible, and it was so interesting because the, you know, the Hebrew Bible, you, you don't read it from, from the left page to the right page. You don't do that. You read from the right page to the left page. Um, for instance, the book is here. Genesis is in the back. <clears throat> um, so you got to go to the back. And so I started looking for the book of Lamentations. Couldn't find it. It's not in its normal place. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I found it. <clears throat> it, was, um, it was entitled... Thrini. <clears throat> That's a Latin word. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why they, they, they use that word, but it's, um, um, it's a word that means, it's a, it's a lyrical lament. Stravinsky wrote a uh, musical piece entitled this, and he, oh, I'm not supposed to do that, am I? Um, but he, um, he, he, he took his musical piece from the first three chapters of the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> the Hebrew title for the, for the book is that. <clears throat> I don't, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and so I'm not sure I pronounce this perfectly. <clears throat> but if I were going to pronounce it, this is why I, I would say it. Ayika. And here's what it means. The book opens with that word. How? How did this happen? <clears throat> if you'll notice, chapter 2 opens with the word, how? If you'll notice, chapter 4 opens with the word, how? How could this happen? <clears throat> So, again, in this Hebrew word, there's not an L anywhere close to it. So it's not lamentations. <clears throat> I don't even know who came up with that word. The title of the book is Ayakah. How could this happen? Um... <clears throat> 
guys, um, the word ayikah, um, it's an expostulation. It's um, it's a exclamation. The um, the author Jeremiah in chapter four says, "How has the gold become dim?" He's mourning. And that's where this word comes from. The the book is arranged as an acrostic, like like Psalm 119. The, The first word of every verse, this is in the first four chapters, the first word in every verse, not every line, but in every verse, it starts with the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit. Um, it's as if the author is saying that I'm giving you a lament from A to Z. <clears throat> Guys, um, we're not going to go verse by verse over, this is not really going to be a study of the book of Lamentations, but I am going to snatch some things out of it that I hope that, that will be profitable for us. Um, that's how the book opens, with this, this expostulation, this outburst, if you will, when the prophet says, how? How could this happen? <clears throat> well, you know what happened. It was the sin of Israel but, that brought it on. Um, Chapter 3 is about the only chapter that people seem to be be aware of because it contains the words of the the hymn we so love, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, Chapter 3 is really the pivotal message of the whole book. Um, What it does is it faces us or it it confronts us with the darkest night uh, of of a sufferer's misery. The book kind of ascends to chapter 3 and then makes these wonderful statements and then it, it descends from there. <clears throat> I want you to notice in, in chapter 4 how Jeremiah tells us that suffering involves all classes of people. Look, look at um, verse 5. Those who once feasted on the delicacies perish in the streets. So the rich people are included. Verse 7, her princes. Verse 12, the kings. Verse 13, the prophets. Um, Also in verse 13, the priests. Verse 16, the elders. Everybody. Everybody has been caught up in this... this, um, Everybody is included, no matter what your social status or your, your function in, in, um, in society, <clears throat> whether you're a have or a have not, everybody's included. So don't be surprised. And, and that's what Peter says in, in 1 Peter 4. He says, uh, do not think it's strange. If you get your shot at the, the, the whole um, issue of suffering too, 
everybody's included. In fact, I want to read you a quote from Spurgeon. He said, Mark then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross, not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. Everybody's included. Everybody gets a turn. Um, You know, guys, in in honesty, suffering is only a problem. It's a problem only for people like us. Because we believe that there's a God that exists who um, who is sovereign and he's good. And we don't know how that God's love and his justice can be can be reconciled with our pain. Um, that's part of our, our, our struggle in the midst of it all. Um, if I believe in this God, how do I explain my pain? <clears throat> well, let me offer you an explanation tonight, okay? I can tell you how the non-Christian world does it. They blame it on bad luck or bad karma. <clears throat> but instead of this book um, trying to explain that, that question, that is, how do I reconcile a God of love and justice with my pain? <clears throat> In, instead of addressing that, and offering us some kind of cheery bromide as to uh, how we might endure, what the book does, Book of Lamentations, it invites us back to God. Gang, one of the things that Job did right, he did some wrong, but the one thing that Job did right is that he kept going to God with this complaint. He kept praying. Even though he couldn't reconcile the God of justice and love with his pain. So so the the book doesn't offer us a cheer up. Every cloud has a silver lining. It simply points us back to God over and over and over again. And tells us in essence that the anger of God against sin and our sin um, is a sign that he that he that he cares. Um, he's not indifferent. <laughs> you know, guys, for us, um, we define anger like Aristotle defined it. That is the desire for retaliation. And so when we feel that God is frowning on us, we come to that conclusion. God's out to get us. Gang, you've got to get this. I've said it a number of times. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. God's anger 
demonstrates that he's not indifferent. <clears throat> I'm reading, this is a quote, but I didn't write down where I got it. He who loves good, by this very fact, hates the evil. And he who does not hate the evil does not love good. Gang, the anger of God over our our sin is an indication of the end of indifference. We do the same thing. How many of you have a child that you can watch get strung out on drugs and it not make you angry? Guys, if the same thing were to happen and your response is one of utter indifference, then we got a problem. When I have a couple sitting in my office, ladies and gentlemen, and one of the spouses says to me, I really don't care what she does. You want to divorce me? You want to leave? I don't care. (laughs) That, ladies and gentlemen, is a concern. But if you love the good... And that means you also hate the evil. And so the, the, the reaction or the response of God in response, in response to our sinful choices, and that's what Lamentations is, guys. It's the record of the response of God in response to Israel's choices. And um, everything that you see here is simply to state that God is not indifferent. That, um, that he loves the good. But that means he's also got to hate the evil. <clears throat> Gang, um, I'm saying to you that the book keeps inviting us back to God. Go to chapter 3 and look at this very famous passage. Verse 22 through 24. Um, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Um, Look. Um, Notice in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord. I've told you about that word. There it is again. I did say on Sunday morning that the word has said, said is found 300 times. I found today it's like 250. So I was wrong. But the word has said, steadfast love, found 250 times in the Old Testament. You see it all through the Psalms. You see it in the book of Ruth. Um, but what Jeremiah is doing is returning to a characteristic of God and his love. It is steadfast. It is loyal love. It's a love that that continues forever. Notice the word hope 
It's in verse 21. It's in verse 24. It's also um, uh, verse 29. So in this section, I told you that the book kind of rises to chapter 3 and then kind of falls off. What you see in these first two opening chapters, 1 and 2, is the, is the horror of this thing that has happened. How? And instead of offering us some little quick solution, what you see him doing is reminding himself of certain things that he knows to be true about God. Guys, do you, do you see what he's doing? Um, in, in, uh, th- this is starting here through the end of the book. This is how he's dealing with himself. He talks to himself. <clears throat> Guys, um, see if you can find real quick Psalm 42. This is another um, familiar psalm. Um, Look at verse 5. You know these words. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you see what the psalmist is doing? He's talking to whom? He's talking to his soul, and he says, Soul! Why are you cast down? Hope in God, soul. So, so guys, um, what you see happening in the book of Lamentations, what you see happening in Psalm 42, is the Christian's remedy, or the, the Christian formula for existing under the hand of, of a chastening God. I can I continue to say to my soul, so the love that God has is a chesed. It's a it's an everlasting love, soul. And this thing that you're in now, you don't enjoy it. It's not good. It all seems lonely. All seems dark. When is it going to end? But he begins to talk to himself. The book doesn't offer you simple solutions. The book simply invites you to go back to find out what you know to be true about God. I'm cast down. Why? Why am I cast down? Because I forgot. I forgot that there is that the God in whom I believe is a God of chesed. And that ultimately gives hope. That's what you're seeing in chapter 3. That's what you see Jeremiah, or how Jeremiah is handling this, this circumstance in which he finds himself that is so inexplicable and undescribable. How did this happen? And so after he spends a couple of chapters moaning about just how painful it is, then he brings us to the Christian... He, he, he comes to the apex of the book. And he begins to talk about things like his mercies and steadfast love and the hope that comes as a result of those things. 
Gang, that's, that's the way a Christian operates. That's the way we deal with the situations over which we look or into which we look and, and, and step back and say, oh, how did we get here? In this instance, it has to do with sinful choices that Israel made. And I say to you, so much of our struggle and pain is brought on because of the same reason. I'm not saying that all of them. There are times, ladies and gentlemen, when God sees fit to author his own set of circumstances, not in response to our sin. For instance, John 9, the man born blind. And, and uh, everybody asked Jesus, well, I mean, why was he blind? Was it, was it his sin or was it his, was it his parents' sin? You know, uh, because it's got to be somebody's sin. Jesus says, no, it's not. Uh, he's born blind before the glory. Of, that is, I'm about to do something that's going to give glory to God and me and, and, and the redemptive scheme that I've got. And it came as a result of a man born blind. I, I'm not saying that all of our suffering comes as a result of sinful choices, but I say to you, it's my opinion that a whole lot of it does. How did I get here? I'll tell you how I got there. I, con- I contacted my old high school flame on Facebook. I know how I got here. I was alone and bored in my office one day, and I clicked onto a spot that I knew I shouldn't be on. That's how I got here. That's why things are unraveling in my home, in my marriage, in my life. How did I get here? Because I thought it was really cool to go get strung out on some feel, on the wings of some feel-good drug. And now look at me. That's how I got here. And so the way, what the book does in response to those, or this set of sinful choices, is that it doesn't offer you a quick solution out. It says go back and find out and remind yourself of who God is and what he's done. I'm going to read you a quote and then I'll quit. This is, um, this is from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man. He says, um, For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. You get that? Let me read the whole thing. We'll come back. For the modern mind, the cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of man. And the solution is technology. All right, listen. For for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to to make my soul properly respond to objective reality. Life was difficult. Life was complex. Life was uh, full of challenges. How do I get my soul to conform and deal with and confront objective reality? And the solution back then was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern mind, 
The cardinal problem is not how to confront and handle objective reality. No, no. The cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of man. And the solution he offers, the solution he takes, is technology. No more virtue. No more need of wisdom. No more emphasis on self-discipline. Let's find a way to take objective reality and subdue it to my wishes. And I'll use technology to do it. That was written 65 years ago. Gang, the way that we respond to a life that's full of challenge and difficulty and hardship and even pain, yes, the way we do it is through wisdom and self-discipline and virtue. We go back to and remind ourselves of who God is, what he said, and we bring our souls back into conformity with that. And then sooner or later, things begin to unravel. It begins to simplify the painlessness, not immediately, but um, choosing another route, trying to find a cheery bromide, I forget who said that, is a waste of your time. Close with this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll hope in him. He arrives at hope. But he does so. by going back to and chasing down the God that he has deserted. I I think that is um, always a relevant subject. Let's quit. Our Father, forgive us that we we make choices thinking that we, um, we know better, and as a result, we find ourselves in one big old mess after the other. Would you, um, would you use this book to show us that the, the unbelievable consequences of disobedience, the, uh, the reaction that a God of love who loves his children and also hates their sinful choices, how we can track down that God and draw nigh clinging to the very God whose righteous instructions we spurned. Father, um, forgive us for having done so. Might we learn biblical wisdom as a result of that which we're experiencing. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake, and we ask it in his name. Amen.